You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. Please turn to the book of Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. This is our last sermon in the book of Proverbs. Turn to Proverbs 1 and Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs 1 and Proverbs 9. Let me, uh, let me pray before we get started. God, I thank you that, that uh, so many people have gathered here to, to hear from you, Lord. And I pray, God, that the people that are gathered in this room are not gathered to hear a sermon about you. I pray that we are gathered to meet with the living God. And there's a huge difference. Lord, I don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room. I don't want to talk about you and teach people about you like you're not right up here with me. God, I pray that there would be this holy respect for your glory right now. In my own heart, God, posture it in such a way that I have this holy respect for your word and for your presence and what you want to do and what you desire to do in shaping a people. God, this, it's such a, a, a big deal to be gathered and singing praise to Christ and learning and sitting under your word. And so, God, I pray that it would activate something deep within us and that you would charge us with the gospel to leave this place filled with the presence of God. So I pray that you would lead us, Lord. Lead us in your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this is the last, our last teaching in Proverbs, and this is kind of how I want to close. Um, we've been learning about Proverbs, and there's a part of Proverbs that is uh, rational, and I think this is what a lot of us like about Proverbs. It's, it's completely rational. It makes sense, but there is a part of Proverbs, and what I kind of want to dip into at the end of the sermon, though it'll be a shorter sermon because I want to spend time responding to this, there's a part of Proverbs that's uh, that's revelatory. So there's a rational part and a revelatory part. And I think that we all really do love the rational part. And what I mean by rational, I mean that it makes sense in what it says. The things that it says in Proverbs makes sense. And it would line up with, with what most rational people would line up with. So if you're a rational person, if you've been coming to church over the last I don't know, eight, ten weeks that we've been in this series. And the things that I've said, if you're not even a follower of God, a lot of things that I've said have made sense to you. So I've said this, and you're like, you know, that completely makes sense. I think I'm going to start doing that because there's a, a rational part of Proverbs. Proverbs is wisdom for this life on this earth with skin and flesh and bones and interacting with other people and interacting with our environment, interacting with our economy. It makes sense. For example, Proverbs 4, 7 says this. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. That's so good. That's so wise, right? Like, what's the, what's the beginning of, what's the fountain of wisdom like? Get wisdom. Like, oh my gosh, you schooled me. That's great. Though it cost you all you have, get understanding. Now that makes sense. Barry Schwartz, a secular psychologist, has a TED Talk that I talked about on our very first sermon. He has a TED Talk that's viewed over two, two and a half million times. It's called Our Loss of Wisdom. And his big idea, because TED Talks are all about the big idea, his big idea is get wisdom. 
His big idea is Proverbs 4-7, though he never mentions Proverbs. His big idea is a whole talk that everyone cheers for, standing, oh, they love it. He says, everybody, get wisdom. This is what, actually what he says. He says, at TED, brilliance is rampant. The good news is that you don't need to be brilliant to be wise. The bad news is that without wisdom, brilliance isn't enough. Brilliance is likely to get you and other people into as much trouble as anything else. He says, you guys are all brilliant people, but that's not enough. You can kill people with your brilliance. You need wisdom. Everybody's like standing up, oh my gosh, I need wisdom. That's like what Proverbs says. <laughs> Secular philosopher Elaine de Bouton, who I've quoted several times during this series, writes a book on sex that I quoted last week. And he has a chapter, not joking, he has a chapter in his book on sex called, and he's a secular philosopher, he calls, it's called The Stupidity of Adultery. The stupidity of adultery. And in it, he, he says, adultery undermines everything you really want out of life. It's the exact opposite results that you're after when you enter into uh, a marriage. If you stop and think and apply rational wisdom, adultery is stupid. Secular philosopher does not quote this verse in Proverbs. He doesn't quote this, but this is what it said. He, Proverbs said this like a little bit before Elaine Debaton said it. Proverbs 6.32 says... But a man who commits adultery has no sense. He's stupid. Whoever does so destroys himself. Whoever does so has the, the it, he, he heaps on himself the exact opposite results of what he wants to do. He wants to, I'm going to commit adultery because I want to ex, experience ecstasy, experience love, and you will destroy yourself. You won't have love, and you won't have ecstasy, and it was not wise. So, Proverbs is rational. Proverbs makes sense. You apply what Proverbs says about wealth, the triple bottom line. You, you apply what Proverbs says about family. You apply what Proverbs says about anything. To the rational person in here, it makes sense. You come to the exact same conclusion as De Bouton as if you were reading Proverbs. And I think what's so great about Proverbs is it does make sense. And we need wisdom. We live in the, one of the most complex moments in history and one of the most complex cities in the world. We need wisdom. We need practical wisdom that Proverbs talks about with finance and wealth and with family and with our future, with our decisions, with our sexuality like we talked about last week, with our service to the poor in the city like we talked about a few weeks ago. And in all of these things, Proverbs has appealed to our rationale, meaning what it says makes sense. The things Proverbs has said about these subjects has made sense. And I think we're at a place right now as we conclude this sermon series, this book, that our interest is piqued. I think we want wisdom. I believe that when you sit in these chairs and you're listening to these sermons, you want wisdom. I've been hearing a lot of response like, I want to be wise. I want to be more wise. How do I think about this? How do I think about that? We want wisdom. Now, I know that you believe that, but my hope is that you're not simply wiser because you've listened to these sermons. What I want to know and what, what I want to ask and what I would like us to sit with for a few minutes at the end of our series is how will wisdom endure in your life? How will it endure when this series is just a memory, when you move on to the next book, when you don't read a proverb a day anymore? How will wisdom endure in your life? Some of you guys will take away, well, I have to listen to more TED Talks, read more philosophers. I'll get wise that way. But that's... What I don't want to happen, and this is, this is maybe at the very last part of our, our series, uh, um, a readjustment, not, not that we were, were going 
off the rails a little bit, but I, I want to bring a counterbalance so we are balanced as we move on. I don't want this church to start applying cold wisdom. I don't want wisdom to be, to be lacking a fervency for God. I don't want us to be like people that go, oh, I love wisdom, and we almost have this stoicism with wisdom. Yes, I'm wise, and I make all the wise decisions, and I want to know what's wise. How do I know what's wise? Let me listen to that. Let me read this. Let me do that. I don't want there, I don't want there to, to, to be lacking a fervor and a knowledge of God, a respect, a holy respect, a holy reverence, a holy fear of God when we make decisions, when we look at our future. And so, allow me to end this sermon series where Proverbs begins. And I didn't really get into it when, when it began because I don't think we we're ready for it, but I think we're ready for it now because we all want wisdom. And this is where it starts. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. This has been called the motto for the school of wisdom. How will you and I endure in wisdom? How will we keep moving forward in wisdom? And it's the phrase, and it's this thing, the fear of the Lord. Now, the fear of the Lord, this is a scary phrase. I'll admit that. Hardly any of us know what it means. We think fear has to do with being afraid. And we're afraid of punishment, afraid of being caught. We're afraid of losing our lives. We kind of relate fear to the word phobia. We have Phobias. Phobia is like an anxiety disorder defined as a persistent fear of something, like arachnophobia. You might have seen that movie. If you haven't, you should watch it. Great, great classic movie. A fear of spiders. I think most of us have fear of spiders. If you are a real human, you probably have a fear of spiders. If you like spiders, you're weird. An arachnophobia, everyone has a fear of spiders. Or germophobia, or clinically called verminophobia, but I like germophobia. A fear of germs. Not to be confused with germanophobia, a fear of germans. That's a real thing. <laughs> I looked it up, I promise. I'm, I don't have germanophobia yet, but it's a thing. But there's also zeusophobia. Zeusophobia is the fear of God or gods. And this is what we think of when, when we say, okay, fear, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. Is Proverbs talking about a phobia of God? Are we to have a phobia of God? Are we to have this anxious fear as the foundation of wisdom? Of course not. We're not to fear God like that. This, that, that silly illustration points out that it's not a phobia that we're talking about. The fear of the Lord, you might want to write this down, is an idiom. And you probably know what idiom means. It's like hit the road. That's an idiom. If I said hit the road and you went, can we break that down? Hit. Okay, to hit, punch. Okay, the road. That's the road. I'm going to go hit the road. And you went out and literally hit the road. You would not get what I'm saying at all. And so I said fear the Lord. That's an idiom. You're like fear. Okay, be afraid of the Lord. The Lord is the creator. I'm afraid of God. No, it breaks down. It's also in Hebrew a compound word. Fear the Lord is a compound word like our word butterfly. Now, if you wanted to know what butterfly means, you don't go butter, fly. It makes perfect sense. No one does that. We do that with fear of the Lord, though. We take fear of the Lord, like, I'm supposed to be afraid of God, so it's, the idiom is lost, or we take it like a compound word. We don't take it like a compound word, we try to break it down. Okay, the fear, 
Fear means, from the Hebrew word meaning afraid, and of the Lord. The Lord means the creator. I'm supposed to be afraid of the creator. That's not how this works. The fear of the Lord is actually a relational phrase. You can gather that from looking at verse 7 and the connection between fear of the Lord and despise. In Proverbs, oftentimes, line 2 clarifies line 1. So, if you look at Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does the fear of the Lord mean? We'll look at the opposite of it. Despise, but fools despise. That word despise clarifies the fear of the Lord. That word despise is an emotional word. It's a word of contempt, of relational detachment. Like, I want nothing to do with you. I don't need you. I'm smart enough. I know enough. I'm good enough. The fear of the Lord is the opposite of that. The fear of the Lord is I need you. The fear of the Lord is relational. The fear of the Lord is I'm not detached from you. I'm connected to you. The fear of the Lord is different. So what is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is an openness to him. The fear of the Lord is an eagerness to please God. Humility to be instructed by God. The fear of the Lord is about reverence toward God. Respect for God, love and appreciation, holding God in highest regard. That's what the fear of the Lord is. How does wisdom endure in your life with a healthy dose of fear of God? Not afraid, but an openness to God. An eagerness to go, whenever you're making a decision, I am making this decision to please God. A humility to understand that I need to be instructed by God. I need your scriptures, God. I need your presence in my life, God. When I go for wisdom, it's not a cold, detached wisdom. It's an attached to the living God sort of wisdom. It's a wisdom that says in, 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 in reverence toward God, God, I revere you. I honor you. I bless you, God. I want right, ordered love and respect for you. That's what fear means. There's two sides to the fear of God. There's side A. Speaking of, you know, if you listen to tape cassettes, there's side A, side B. So here it is, just to help with your memory. I did have, a, I actually, my original presentation, I had a tape up there, but I thought it would be irreverent. I'm not joking, so I took it away. So anyway, sorry. Um, side A. This is the side A of the fear of God. A deep-seated reverence and awe and recognition of the holiness of God. His utter otherness. There's a part of the fear of God where we realize that God is completely holy. That God is absolutely holy. That he is absolutely other. That we are to be in awe of him. So as you're walking the streets of San Francisco today, and as you're doing that, a part of the fear of God is to be in awe of God's holiness, his purity, his perfection. There's a part of it that's that way. The other side, side B, is a devotion to God, a devotion to God's covenant and obedience to his word by loving and serving him and walking in his ways. So there is a part of, uh, of, of the fear of God that is this deep-seated reverence and awareness of who God is, but then there's also this like devotion to going, God, I want to follow you, I want to obey you, I want to obey your word, I want to I serve you, I want to love you. To help clarify this, I heard this this week, a friend of mine told me this, and it might help make sense. It's like when you sing a worship song, and there's two ways to go about it. One way is this, I praise you, I, with the emphasis on the I, I praise you. 
But fear of God is, the emphasis is on the you. I praise you. I think a lot of us are so wrapped up in the worship, but we're actually worshiping kind of ourselves. We're like, we're singing, but we're singing to us. We're like, I praise you. I do, God. I, me, I'm awesome. And I'm praising you right now. And, I, I, I'm, and actually, I'm on tune today. Like, I'm singing, and it's good. I, I'm like, I'm in harmony with the band today, and I'm singing, and this is awesome, and I want to go to the carpet, so I'm going to kneel, and it's, it's about you. But a, a fear of God is like, I, like lowercase I, and all the emphasis is on the you. I praise you. You, Lord. It's you I fear. It's you I adore. It's you I want. I praise you, God. See, to fear God is to acknowledge and guys, I forget this. this is, so this is part confession, okay? The, f- the fear of God is to acknowledge that God is in the room. Do you guys ever walk into a room and forget that God is in the room? Like, to acknowledge that God is in the room, that changes everything. That God is there. That God is among us. That, that's what fear of God is, just to make a decision and to pray and to, and to go about your work when you're, in, you're working in your little cubicle in your office or whatever it is, you're realizing God is in this room right now. God is here. And to acknowledge that he's also the smartest one in the room. He's in the room and he's the smartest one in the room. I think we make decisions sometimes like God's not in, even in the room. Like we're all left alone to find out what's good and right in this life. Now, to clarify what I mean by that, that might be confusing to some people. I'm not saying that God is in the room and will make you make all the decisions you need to make for you. That's not, we talked about that a few weeks ago. I'm not saying that. He might, he might make all the decisions for you, but oftentimes it comes, when it comes to most things, he's a bit silent. And that's just pastor confession. I'll just tell you the truth. Sometimes he won't. What I'm saying here is that we make decisions where we acknowledge that God is in the room and that we live to please him, that we live to obey him, even when it's the hardest or when it means the death of whatever we want, God is with us. And not being afraid, but out of relational respect, love, and appreciation. This is where wisdom starts. Wisdom starts the way that we can keep moving in wisdom and keep pursuing wisdom. And then our church, guys, our prayer for this church is that we would be a wise church. As we are wise, it starts with a fear. Not afraid, but a healthy reverence, a respect, a love for God. And this is where wisdom starts. And it's not just where wisdom starts. The fear of God, this healthy, holy respect and reverence for God is where revival starts in our hearts. It's where something happens. And what I mean by revival of the heart, we may think wisdom is somehow connected to stoicism, like I said. And I'm using stoicism in the negative sense of of indifference. Where there's an absence of pure joy in our relationship with God, there's an absence of pure ecstasy in following God, where you think that you are so wise that you've broken down everything, where you figured life out, and the joy and the surprise of life and God is gone from you. It's absent. There's no ecstasy in following God anymore. There's no joy. There's no excitement of following God. Like, what's next, God? What are you, where are you leading me next? It's none of, none of that stuff. It's cold and calculated. Where at one time you may have been bursting with the life of God, but now you're weak and sick, and apathetic. 
And so Psalm 85, there's this prayer in Psalm 85 that says, will you not revive us again? Will you not make us to come to life again, God? That your people may rejoice in you, that we who are your people may have a joy, a rejoicing in following you. A rejoicing, guys, I don't want all the wisdom that we've, that we've gained to become cold and calculated. I want us to have this warm, no, a burning passion for God. A burning passion for the things of God. A burning passion for the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the justice of God. I want that to be a part of our lives. And so the psalm says, will you not revive us again? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us salvation. Seeing the unfailing love of God will cause us to fear. And in the good sense, not afraid. I know I'm using that word fear, and you guys are all probably attaching that still to being afraid. But we want, will you not revive us again? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us salvation. When we see the unfailing love of God, that leads us to fear. That leads us to respect. Psalm 130 says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, if you should mark our sins, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. There's that word again. Here the psalmist is attaching the forgiveness of God with the fear of God. Obviously that's not afraid. That can be afraid. It doesn't even make sense in context. It's honored, revered, respected. Because God forgives. Because if God didn't forgive, who can stand before the living God? Who can stand before the living God in all of our sin and wretchedness? Who can stand? No one. But with God, there's forgiveness. Therefore, God is revered, honored, worshipped, loved. It goes on, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. With God, there is redemption, there is forgiveness, and there is steadfast love, and this love of God, and the forgiveness of God, and the redemption of God causes us to revere Him, causes us to honor Him, causes us to respect and love God. And this is where wisdom will lead us. Wisdom starts with this healthy love and reverence and respect for God. That's where it starts. And so when we apply wisdom to our families, when we apply wisdom to our sexuality, when we apply wisdom to our finances and our wealth, we do it all with God, I love you. And I respect you. And I honor you. And I worship you. You alone are God. And from that place, give me wisdom. From that place. You know, before service we're praying, and I often do this because a lot of times in our prayers before service, there's all this really cool stuff that happens. And today, uh, one of my, one of my a, a brother prayed that Solomon was given wisdom when he asked, and he was, and that came from a relationship with God. So the story is that Solomon was a young king, he didn't know how to rule, and he was with God, and he had a great relationship with God, and then one day, God said, Solomon, I'm going to give you anything you want. You're the king of Israel, you're the king of my people. Ask me one request, and I'll give it to you. He's like, God, I just want wisdom. I just want to know how to take care of your people. I just want to know how to rule rightly. I don't want to be an idiot. I'm young. I don't know my way in. I don't know my way out. I'm, I don't know what to do. I need your wisdom. And God goes, that's so awesome. Because you didn't ask for like money and riches and people and concubines and all this stuff, I'm going to give you 
I'm going to give you riches. I'm going to give you favor. I'm going to give you everything you want, including wisdom. And what happened was wisdom was the gateway, the pathway into all those blessings. But here's the thing. So wisdom comes with relationship, but remember a couple weeks ago we were talking about neither give me, give me neither poverty nor riches? See, I think that's a wise prayer because what happened with Solomon was that he was given so much wisdom and he was given so much wealth and so much influence that it got to his head where he honestly, like, he consciously disobeyed God. And he walked away from God. He walked away and just said, and he wrote the book Ecclesiastes. If you ever read that book, he's like, who knows really? Who really knows if there is a God? I mean, he, he could be there, he could not be there. Who really knows how this whole earth ends up? Who, whoever really knows what life under the sun is? We need, in the time of wealth and prosperity and blessing, as a city and as a church, we must remember God. We must remember God. We must hold him in the highest regard. We must honor him. And this is where the rational leaps over to the revelatory. Because there are things that God calls us to do, like in the book of Proverbs, that makes total sense. And there are things that God says yes to and that God says no to that makes no sense. And what we do is we jump over to the revelatory and we go, we do not side with the philosophers anymore. We side with God. We are a people who worship, honor, and revere God. Even if it makes no rational sense, we obey God. This, I pray, marks our church. Unless we know God and fear God and respect God and honor and love and pursue God, we'll never have true wisdom we're looking for. We'll never have the true wisdom we're looking for. Our wisdom will grow cold. Our decision-making will grow stale. We'll look within to make right decisions. And when that happens, there will be this subtle shift without even knowing it where we'll trust in ourselves. We'll trust in our own experience. And we'll lack what every follower of God must have, a right perspective of the almighty God. We must keep that at the very beginning of our wisdom. Have a right respect of God. And I don't want to get, I don't want to, get to cold, cold philosophy, church. I don't want to get to a cold obedience of God. I want there to be this fervent passion for, for the things of God. Where sin grieves us, that we want, where we want righteousness and the righteousness of God to bring us into absolute ecstasy with God. I want love to mark us as a church. I want to fear the Lord. Now, how does this happen? Like, if you're in a place that's just cold and detached. Like you've, get, you've gained some wisdom over this series, you've, like, you've done it and you're like, yes, I, I've gained a little bit of wisdom on a couple of different subjects and your heart just feels cold. There's a, a verse that I've been meditating on and going into this week and it's in Hosea, it's in the Minor Prophets and I love the book of Hosea. And Hosea says this in chapter 10, it says, sow righteousness for yourself. Sow righteousness, that same word that we've been talking about in Proverbs, sow righteousness for yourselves, reap the fruit of unfailing love. Sow righteousness, reap the fruit of unfailing love, and break up your fallow ground. 
Break up your fallow ground, for it's time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. Break up the fallow ground is the, a, a, word, a verse of scripture that has come to me over the last several years when my heart grows cold. I don't know if you've ever been there in your life where there's this like obedience to God and you're, and you're with God and there's this fervor and this passion and then something grows stale, something grows cold in your walk with God or your own heart is hardened by sin's deceitfulness or something happens where you've taken a step so one, in one direction when you know you should take another step and there's like, it's, it was disobedience, blatant disobedience to God. And something happens in your own heart where it gets cold, it gets hard. Hosea says, God says through Hosea, break up your hard heart. That fallow ground, that unplowed ground, if you can imagine the California desert, and they want to turn that into a farmland, and you have to break up, you have to till the ground, break up the hardness of it, soften it up, put, throw water on it, get it ready, get it prepared for a seed to penetrate it. Our hearts can get cold. They can even get cold in trying to pursue wisdom. They can even get cold in trying to obey God. And the call here is to break it up. To break up the fallow ground. To seek the Lord. To seek God. To seek His presence. To seek His face. To break up means to like remove the things that, you are, that are keeping you from Him. Remove the things that have hardened your heart. I think that we as a church might even need a healthy dose of what it means to repent. What it, needs to, what it means to go, God, I've done these things and they've grieved you. They've grieved your heart. They're wrong. I know they're wrong. I mean, anyone, even someone, a secular psychologist and a philosopher would call them wrong. But you've said they're wrong and I've done them. Or I've been living in this city so long where I don't know what up and down is anymore. And I need a healthy dose of God. Would you break up my heart? Would you break up the parts where I am, I'm like lost in, in, a, in a confusion of morality? Break up my hard heart, God. It's time, church, to seek the Lord. It's time to, as we, if we're going to pursue wisdom, it must start with a healthy respect, honor, love, and passion for God. It has to start there. If we detach wisdom from fear of God, we will get cold-hearted, secular philosophy. And it's that secular philosophy that crucified Jesus. In 1 Corinthians, it says that the wisdom of the world did not see Jesus Christ coming, but the wisdom of God did. We need the wisdom of God. The wisdom of the world says triumph. It says win at all costs. The wisdom of God gave his life for you. The wisdom of God, God came as a meek and mild. He came in not on riding in on a horse. He came in riding in on a donkey, a beast of burden, to take our sins, to take our brokenness, to take our humanity upon himself. That is the wisdom of God. We need the wisdom of God. We need to seek the Lord. We need to repent. We need to turn. I want to close with a poem. I, I, I meant to somehow weave the poem into the sermon, but there's no weaving of this poem in. So I'm just going to read it to you. This is totally not professional. I'll tell you that right now. But I want to read it to you because I've been meditating on it. And it's been stirring me to pray. It's been stirring me to take courage in the things I know that are right and I know that are wrong. 
It's taking courage to repent and say, God, I confess that I, I've, I've lost my way sometimes. This was written in the late 1800s. And it goes like this. And maybe I can weave it in like this here. Let me get professional real quick. The hardened heart, the burdens, let those aside, lay those aside. How do we do it? That's kind of the essence of this poem. (laughs) That was horrible. Anyway, let me just read it. (laughs) When mountain wall confront thy way, why sit and weep? Arise and say, be thou removed, and they shall be, by power of God, cast in the sea. All power on earth, all power in heaven, to Christ the Son of God is given, and from the throne he will endue, and hindrances shall flee from you. O'er all the power of fiend and man, say to the Lord, I surely can. Take from him power on earth to tread, on serpent sting, on dragon's head. Whatever thou art, O mountain high, whatever thou art in earth and sky, whenever thou art, truth is the same, be thou removed in Jesus' name. Be thou removed, faith bids thee start, for yonder sea arise depart. I may, I can, I must, I will, the purpose of my God fulfill. Would you stand with me? I'm going to invite the worship team out right now. I'm going to do something a little uncommon for us. If we can hit the lights. What I'd like to do is I'd like to lead us in a prayer. And by lead, I mean I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask you to pray, not necessarily out loud, but like to internalize a prayer, to make it your prayer, and do that a couple times, and then we'll move right into worship. God, I want a healthy fear of you, God. And I repent for not seeing you for who you are. Well, I repent for talking about you at times and even praying at times like you're not even in the room, that you're not even listening. I repent, God. I want a holy fear of you, a respect for you, God, an honor for you, for your name and for your renown in my own heart, in my marriage, my church. A holy fear of you, Lord. Take a few seconds and make that prayer your prayer. pray for our city. There have been volumes and volumes and volumes of books written 
about how this city is well known since its inception of calling evil good and good evil. And we're sorry for that, God. And on behalf of our city, we repent before you. The oppression of the poor that happens here. The false liberation that happens here. How people can leave behind God and they can leave behind family to pursue wealth and riches and status. We repent, God. Spend a couple of seconds making that your prayer as well. As a church, let's make that our prayer. I pray, I repent for being lazy and I repent for being apathetic. I repent of my disordered loves, God. I repent for there sometimes not being, uh, having a hunger for you. I've, I've, I, Lord, have dosed and, and snacked on junk food when living bread and living water is offered to me. And I repent. Spend a couple seconds making that your prayer. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is a new covenant in my blood. He says, as often as you take this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until I come again. Jesus, we thank you for your body and your blood that we can have and know the living God. That we can know you so tangibly, as tangible as this bread, as tangible as this cup, we can know you, God. And I pray for this church that we would give, be given a solid hunger for you, a passion to know God, a passion to turn from evil, to pursue righteousness, to pursue holiness, God, to pursue love, to pursue wisdom. Make us your people, God. Set us apart and send us from this place filled with your spirit. And I pray whatever, whatever right now, whatever it is in our own lives that's blocking the flow of the spirit of God, we say, be thou removed in Jesus' name. Be removed in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, come.